is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Greetings, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 410, recorded Tuesday, November 27th, 2018. Jason, how are you doing uh, this week? I am doing fantastic this week, Christopher. How are you this fine week? I am doing okay. Uh, You scored a goal last night, Chris, (laughs) in hockey. (laughs) Yeah, I was telling you about that earlier. I didn't know you were going to bring it up, but I did. I scored my first goal with the team. And it was quite a feeling. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Did you walk? Did you skate up to the goalie and go in your face? In your face? No. See you, that? You, you don't do want to. You don't want to do that. That's just not very sportsman like. Uh, but I was pretty happy. Uh, I had a. I had a kind of a bad second period. Took a penalty. Made a bad play. And I was for for going in your face to the goalie. No. 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 I <laughs> took a too many men on the ice penalty. Uh, oh. I I I left the bench early. And, you know, I felt stupid for that. But what are you going to do? It happens. Uh, and then in the third, I scored a goal with three minutes to go. And it was a pretty fun feeling. And the guys were pretty happy. And I'm, I'm good. Now I'm feeling good about myself again. So Good man. Good man. It was very, very exciting. Yes. Uh, so that happened. And, and that's fun. But, um, you know, otherwise, I guess things are just going okay. But here we are at the mid-season finale of The Walking Dead. Yeah. It flew by. It sure did. It really did. These eight episodes. I really feel like they flew by. Um, but of course, we have to recap the whole thing before we can call it a half season here. And mm-hmm. we're going to do that right now. So let's get on with it. This episode is called Evolution. Well, you know, the zombies are going to change the world. You say you want a revolution? No, Evolution. I said I wanted an evolution. Thank you very much, Jim the Trucker. And Amy, I guess from the internet. I didn't write down where Amy's from. So, Amy from the internet. Uh, I like those two title reads. They kind of play on the same thing a little bit, which which was fun. Yeah. Uh, of course, Jim was doing a, a cover of The Beatles, in a way. And uh, Amy sort of was referencing that, too, I think. Anyways, it's... They seem similar to me. So, Season 9, Episode 8, Evolution, and uh, everything was revealed. It was. I guess. A lot of it, yeah. A lot of things we've been building up to. So, um, let's begin with our recap. We start at the cold open, and we've got a bunch of walkers milling around in a field, just hanging out. And we see Daryl, Jesus, and Aaron watching them from a distance, and they are very confused at their behavior. And this is a scene we've we saw in the trailer way back at Comic Con. They're they're up on a hill looking at them, and it turns out they're out there, you know, looking for Eugene. But Daryl says he's picked up Rosita's trail, and he notices a storm coming, so they have to move on. So, okay, so I kind of want to hold my tongue on what's going on. But I also want to comment on a bunch of things on what's going on, and I'm not sure what I, what to do. Help me out here, Chris. Well, I don't think you should hesitate from commenting. I mean, if it's if it's something that's going to be explained later in the episode and you're confused now or Well, or I don't want to spoil the end of the episode, even though usually when people are watching the re- or listening to the recap, they've seen the episode. Or 
maybe they haven't seen the episode and they listen to the uh, the podcast anyway without actually watching the episode. Uh, we know that some people do that, so I don't want to I don't want to ruin things now. No. You're absolutely so right. So can we recap the episode twice? Can we do that? Just to, <laughs> so I can feel better? We'll just do the whole thing and then start over at the beginning and do it again. So what should I do? Uh, I think you should talk about what you're comfortable talking about. It's not a big deal. Yes, people listen to the podcast without having seen the episode, but I think there's an understanding that we're here to talk about it. It's aired and we are going to, we can talk about the whole thing you know, as a whole, <laughs> right? Right. So okay. feel free to bring anything up at any point. Okay. So what the hell are these guys doing? What do you mean? Well, they're milling about, you know, that's weird for zombies. Oh, the zombies. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're milling about, they're kind of going around in a circle. That's weird for zombies. It's weird for people. Well, it right? is, it is weird for people, but it's not like they're at a mall. Like if they were at a mall and just kind of milling about, that's normal. Uh huh. I see that every weekend. When I go to the mall, but <laughs> in the middle of a field, what are they doing? Oh, okay. So I understand what you're saying. These, these may be people, these may be zombies. Uh, either way, it's unusual for them to be milling about sort of doing nothing. Yeah. What are they doing? Well, I, what they are doing is trying to track Eugene, where his hiding spot is. They're trying to find him, right? By walking around in the circle. Are well, they, are they? Doing a kind of some kind of ritual where they're trying to divine which way he's gone. <laughs> Maybe they're because if, if they're tracking him, they're following tracks by walking around the whole friggin' field, trampling on all the tracks. I think maybe this is a is a break. Maybe they're they're taking a break, and uh, this is what they do for fun. I, mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, we again we find out later that they've come by Eugene's hiding spot three times. So they haven't found him. So maybe they're regrouping and they're discussing what to do next because we don't know where he is. Should we go this way? Should we go that way? And maybe they're actually having kind of a regrouping conversation rather than just milling around. But from a distance where Daryl and Jesus and Aaron are, it looks like they're just hanging around doing nothing. Okay. Because I've seen seagulls do this. Yeah. Right? You look up in the air and the seagulls are just circling, milling about and doing stuff. They're thinking, right? Because seagulls are a collective consciousness. Each individual seagull is, you know, a dumb bird. But you get enough of them together, they start figuring shit out. And they'll uh, they'll take your food, like, right out of your hand. It's happened. <laughs> I know. It's happened to me. I know. You have a uh, good story about that. So I'm pretty sure seagulls are a collective consciousness. So they mill about, like, when you see them up in the air and they're milling about and they're not really doing anything, what they're doing is they're thinking. Putting like two and two together. Yeah, they're ciphering stuff out. They they dig through our garbage. They follow each and every one of our ships out to sea. They're <laughs> tracking us. I'm telling you. Anyway. They sure uh, are. So I guess the question I have, I can assume that this is a group of people and a group of zombies, right? It's not just people. Right. One of the things the Whisperers do is use this technique that we'll talk more about as we go on to to blend in uh not only not only fake people out but also to blend in with with other groups of actual zombies okay so the, if this this kind of helps me make sense of this and I, I didn't think about this until just now but if it's the whispers and zombies they can't just you know start a campfire and sit down and go okay where'd this guy go they need to act like zombies or lead this herd into a circle so that they can continuously talk to each other. Mm -hmm. And they talk to each other in the whispers. 
but uh, if so, they can't just stop and start a conversation because the zombies will attack them. So they still have to sort of behave like zombies, right? And lead them around in the circle like a herd is confused, and so that they can talk to each other, right? So that's what they're doing. They're they're milling okay. about and continuing to act like zombies and sort of controlling the ones that are real zombies, right? Yeah, yeah. So okay, so that's that explains what they're doing. They're they are thinking, but they're doing it in a way that won't upset the uh, the zombies that are in this herd. Right. And they won't lose them and they'll keep them because they actually want to stay, want to stay in that crowd, right? Because it's their this cover. This could be exhausting. Oh, you would think so. Yeah. Never get to sit down. You don't get to stop. How do they eat? I guess they eat people. Oh, I, well, I'm sure we'll get into that as the second half of the season rolls out, but I don't think they all, they travel this way. I don't think they always, like they're not always amongst a group, oh, okay. right? So at some point they'll separate off and probably use a technique like what we saw Daryl trying to do in this episode of of leading them one way, right? And these whisperers can probably do that and separate themselves from a herd. I right. Would, I okay. would think. Because like you said, they can't stay in them together. I uh, think zombies would get kind of upset if they walked by an apple tree and a bunch of zombies started picking apples because they were hungry, right? It's like... Wouldn't the zombies get confused? They or, or they might just not notice. You know, I mean, they're really single-mindedly focused, so they might not even notice. Okay. Anyways, um, we so the guys move on, and then we get one more shot before the opening title, sort of amongst the walkers again. One of them kind of slowly comes into focus, and he turns around to profile the camera, and this is one of the guess one of the whisperers who's paying attention to what's going on around him so yeah it was pretty creepy we go to the opening titles and when we come back we are in alexandria we get some establishing shots there's lots of kids running around they run towards negan's window and we hear father gabe down there talking to him and what was he doing trying to help him like meditate sort of is that what yeah was he was on? so it was guided meditation yeah that's what that's what i thought uh but negan Bails on the whole meditation thing, and he reveals that he knows about the relationship between Father Gabe and Rosita. And while he's talking, he starts throwing a ball against a wall. And this seems to be something he's been doing for a long time, just like as a coping mechanism almost. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I think it's torture. Uh, what They've given him a baseball glove and a baseball ball. Well, a tennis it's ball. It's not a baseball bat, right? So they wouldn't give him a baseball bat yeah. like Lucille. So they've given him a ball and a glove, I think, initially to torture him. Like, fuck you, here's some baseball equipment. Uh, you know, deal with that. But he's right. kind of adopted it as something, to, as a coping mechanism, like you said. Right. But I I have to imagine that initially it was a kind of a torture, fuck you kind of gift. That's that's harsh, man. Like, I didn't, it even, is. I didn't even think of that. Like, it's a tennis ball, not a baseball, because they don't bounce. But a tennis ball, or not the same way as a tennis ball... Uh, but you're right. It's a baseball glove. I didn't even put two and two together there. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of like a screw you. We know yeah. you are in love with your baseball bat, but here's a baseball glove just to remind you of it. Yeah. You know, give him a helmet. <laughs> give him a uniform. Give him you a know, whole here, New York Yankees. Here's, here's a home base. <laughs> <laughs> give him everything. And everything here, except the ball, the bat. Sorry. And, and here's a TV that reruns uh, world the World Series over and over and over again. Oh, that, I'd, I'd still watch that. But only the 1992 Blue Jays winning World Series. Which one? 
Well, 92. There was, there was two of them, right? 91, 92. They won back to back. Or was it 92, 93? I can't remember now. But uh, 92, 93, because I was here. I moved to Toronto in 93. And shortly after I moved here, that's when they won the World Series. And I went to Young Street. I was on Young Street, Young and Queen for the first time uh, during the big hoopla. Oh, yeah. Of that. That was a big hoopla. There was a lot of people. There was half a million people in like a block, a city block, and it was uh, it was crazy. Well, I have two things to say quickly. I did the same thing, but I was straight north of you on Young Street up by Eglinton. Yeah. And basically what I remember about it is walking down Eglinton, there are celebrators everywhere, and one guy was walking towards me, so going the opposite direction. And as he got close to me, I realized he really looked like Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, yeah. Which was fun. But then he dropped his pants and right in oh, front yeah. of me as and, and then kept going uh, past me. And I and when I say drop pants, I mean like... Dingleberry was showing? Dingleberry was out, yes. That, that's funny because I was walking uh, up Young Street right next to the Eaton Center and there was uh, somebody on the... Uh, there was awnings on the Eaton Center at that time. There was a woman up there that was about to flash the crowd, but she decided not to at some point. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I was very... Very disappointed. <laughs> At the time, I'm sure you were. Anyways, this is getting way too personal. <laughs> anyway, baseball, uh, screw you to Negan. The second thing I was going to say before we move on is that that was half a million people. You think that was big? You're not going to, you don't know what it's going to be like when the Leafs win the Stanley Cup later this year. Uh, we're all going to have to take a week off if the city is even still here after the celebration. I'm going to do what uh, Stephen Yoon uh, would wanted to do or did during some sporting event uh, that he watched on TV. Uh, I'm going to take my couch out into the street and set it on fire. Uh, you know what? That There's going to be a lot of that happening. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't watch the Leafs. I couldn't name an actual current Leaf. Uh, well, that's your problem right there. But I still, there's a couch I don't want very much. So I might take it out into the street and burn it. Well, you won't be the only one. And um, <laughs> I'm telling you, if the city survives that, because it will be 10 times the size a celebration as the Blue Jays winning the World Series. This is the yeah. Toronto Maple Leafs we're talking about. I yeah. mean, it's insane. Okay, enough of that. Enough of that. What are we talking about? We're talking about sports? No, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of that so far this episode. So, Negan's there. He's throwing his ball against the wall. He he reveals that he knows about the relationship, as I said, and then he he mentions that he hears a lot of people talking outside his window, including Rosita recently. And uh, he says, you know, she might not have been talking about you, Father Gabe. And that just kind of pisses Father Gabe off a little bit. Yep. Uh, he leaves. He walks outside and he sees the messengers who came from Hilltop. And then Barbara comes up and tells him that Rosita was hurt. Now, did you recognize Barbara? Uh, no. I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't either. I I thought this is some new random character, but apparently she's been around for a while. And she, Really? Yeah. Tom, they're coming to get you, Barbara? Yeah, they're In coming. In a zombie show? She, and we Bar didn't notice? We didn't notice, yeah. I She's been around for a while. She's been in the background of a lot of scenes doing her thing, but I'll be honest, I didn't recognize her. I had to look her up, so that's Barbara. Oh, she's a log-carrying person. She... She That's is a reference from Lost. She is, or she's a crop tending person, or whatever the equivalent on Walking Dead is. So, um, yeah, we cut over to outside the hilltop, and a guy on a horse is riding in towards the the town walls, 
and he's yelling that riders are coming, riders are coming. And this triggers everyone who's working outside to basically run back inside. Flee! Yeah, ba basically flee back into the town uh, or inside the walls. So they are pretty nervous of riders coming, but at least they have scouts out there watching for people approaching, which is a good idea. That is good. So one thing I noticed uh, in this shot is that uh, there's a hay field that they're riding past. Right. And the hay bales are baled like there was a machine baling hay. Hmm. They, wouldn't, they wouldn't have a hay baling machine. Like I've seen those machines that they, they're pulled on the back of tractors. They pick up a bunch of hay that's been cut down mm -hmm. in piles and they bale it up, put baling wire around it and spit out a hay bale in the back. Yeah. Right. And then somebody comes around later with a flatbed on a tractor and loads the hay bales on and drives away. Sure. So it looks like this field has been baled. So all the hay has been collected and baled in perfectly symmetrical hay bales. But I doubt they have a machine to do that. So wouldn't they just be a bunch of hay piles? Yeah, probably. But maybe someone has been practicing and gotten really good at it. It's really hard because it cuts <laughs> the hay and like it shapes it and stuff and... I don't know. It just, it seems a little weird, but that's, I'm picking nits again. Sure. Well, they've got hay bales. They've got all kinds of crops going and this, but everyone just drops what they're doing and runs in because mysterious riders are approaching. Uh, of course, it turns out to be Michonne and the gang as they are approaching Hilltop. Luke seems kind of optimistic about how things are going to go. The rest of them are a little bit nervous. Once they get up to the wall, Diana's up there. And Michonne and Sadiq say they are here for Rosita. And they have a group of good people that the hilltop, Crap. or that they hope the hilltop will come in. Another shot a little bit later, I saw a hay baling machine being pulled by a horse in oh, the background. Really, eh? Yeah, it was a, it's not an automatic one. It's like an old, old one. But uh, it's definitely a hay baling machine. So I thought I'd mention it so that... Uh, Cut down on the emails. <laughs> <laughs> so you jumped the gun a little bit there. I sure did. Yeah. I didn't notice it, but I'm as we as you know, and as everybody knows, I kind of watch along as we do the recap in case I notice something stupid. And every once in a while, I'll uh, jam my foot in my mouth. Right. I mean, it's a tasty foot, but you don't you don't want to eat it all the time. It is not a tasty foot. <laughs> it is absolutely not a tasty foot. So, uh, yeah, slight self correction. I apologize. All right. We can move on. So they have a hay baling machine, a manual one, which is fun. Um, so the group at the gate, they basically all have to surrender their weapons and then are allowed to enter. So they do, and Michonne comes face to face with Tara. Tara reveals to her that Eugene is missing and explains the search party that is out looking for him. She also says that Carol is here, and it's like the old gang's back together. Hooray! <laughs> she says. Um... Alden. Alden is there. He's alive. So we finally know what, well, we don't know what happened to him, but we at least know he survived and he's there and he's looking good. Yeah. He's uh, the only surviving savior? Well. Uh, Negan, maybe? Yeah. I mean, there's Negan. Uh, there could be other stragglers out there, but Alden is the one that's joined the crew here and I think he's looking fine. And he's got a, he's got a bit of a new haircut too. So he's part of the haircut brigade along with everybody yep. else. Cool. Uh, Tara says that Michonne can have her weapons back when they leave tomorrow and that Magna's group will have to earn their keep if they want to stay. But the, I think the important thing is she's not against them actually staying and, and moving in, which is nice. Yeah. You got to hang out. We got to talk to Jesus. 
and uh, then if you do stay, you got to earn your keep. Right. That's fair. I think so. Uh, she turns around and walks away. Michonne sees Carol kind of in the distance and sort of smiles, kind of smiles. It looks like a little bit of a smile to me, but it was not a an emphatic smile by any means. But I Yeah, think, something. there's some undercurrents going on. Yeah, there is a lot of tension in this scene. Clearly, Tara is no longer a friend of Michonne's and is just tolerating here for her here for a little while. Again, we don't really know too much about what's going on yet, but there is some bad blood between these people, and it doesn't seem like they're very friendly. Yeah. So we come back from a commercial break. We've got Magna, Yumiko, and Connie standing around talking. They are sort of skeptical of a place that is run by a guy called Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it'd be concerning, especially if you didn't meet Jesus. Right, if he met him there and see that he's not actually a cult leader, uh, that he's just this guy, you know? Yeah. When you meet him, he's he's very disarming and friendly. And, you know, you you wouldn't ever believe he's a cult leader. Although you could probably argue that cult leaders have that quality and that's what draws people in. Well, I mean, each cult is individual, like people. Yeah, right? that's I'm true. I'm sure that they're not all the same. They all have various characteristics and, uh, you know, led by various... Cut leaders. Yeah, but I, I don't blame them for being a little skeptical. It seems like, you know, something until you meet him that you might be. Uh, Michonne and Sadiq come by having their own conversation about Aaron and Jesus and how they've been meeting in a back channel. Michonne doesn't like this. Again, understandably, if she has separated herself from the other communities. Carol shows up and is introduced to Magna and her friends. And we find out that Carol knows how to spell her own name in sign language. Well, that's nice. Don't you know how to spell your name in sign language? No, I do not. But now I want to learn. I I just thought maybe I'd ask. No, (laughs) I have no idea. I I know what a J is. I can do a J, a little pinky, make a J symbol. Well, you got got one letter down. That's right. So far. All right. Well, maybe another. I know thank you. I know secret. I know uh, I love you. Good. But that's about it. Well, you're doing better than me. Maybe in another uh, 45 years, you can learn the next letter in your name. Yeah, it only, yeah, one letter per half century. Right, That's exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'll get there. Of course you will. Uh, so everybody else leaves, and we just have Michonne and Carol there chatting now. Carol, of course, asks about Judith and RJ. They talk about Ezekiel and what Henry's doing there, kind of just, you know, getting the lay of the land. And Carol says that she really wants Alexandria to participate in the fair, but Michonne refuses. Carol says, I know what you went through, and I know why this is hard for you, but we don't know why. Yeah, or, teaser. Or what teaser she went through. conversation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Michonne just kind of, to me, reinforces this huge divide between these communities and says that they have to take care of their own, right? She says there's all this dead world between them so we got to look out for number one that's right uh but we don't really know much else about that but i got the feeling that michonne has gone really dark you know she's she's really not interested in having much of a relationship here and whatever went down between them all she really feels like um it's a shame that it happened but she steadfastly believes in whatever she did was the right thing to do yeah, somehow separating these communities and the, specifically the uh, um, 
uh, Michonne's community mm-hmm. was the right thing to do. Why the separation was necessary, or why Michonne or the even uh, the hilltop and uh, the kingdom are separated. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not just that uh, uh, Michonne has pulled back and the other two are fine. Something happened to all three. Something. And something did. They reacted but, slightly differently. But the but yeah, but the relationship between Kingdom and Hilltop has. If it was at ever at any point this bad, it has repaired itself to a certain amount. They they may not be in touch, but clearly Carol and Tara are still friends. Yeah, and they're participating in this fair that they're planning. So, whatever if there was this much of a disagreement between all three, Alexandria and Michonne is the only one that's hanging on to it at this point. Yeah, I mean you gotta let bygones be bygones, but you also gotta you know. Talk about talk about the backstory so that we can find out what the hell it is. Yeah, well, we're going to get that, I'm sure. Uh, we go out to our search party, which is, of course, Jesus, Aaron, and Daryl. And um, they're talking. They're out in the field. Jesus and Aaron uh, are saying that Daryl used to visit the hilltop, but he hasn't been coming by recently. And Aaron also kind of tries to convince Jesus that, you know, you should be a leader. You're a good leader and says he'd be really good at it, at it if he just stopped kind of fighting against it. So um, he's just trying to give him some advice. But Daryl realizes that the herd is following them for some reason. And this is a little bit confusing. And so what he does is he winds up an old alarm clock and he throws it far away into the field, you know, obviously hoping that the noise will draw the zombies off and they can escape the other way. Yeah, it's a sound grenade. It is a sound grenade. Exactly. That's what I'm going to yeah. call my alarm clock from now, now yeah. on. <laughs> the morning sound grenade. It's right. It went off. It, yeah, um, it goes, it uh, has an audio explosion first thing in the morning that will uh, startle you mean maim you and possibly kill you. Yeah, I hope not. Uh, all right. Back at the hilltop, Carol's loading up her wagon for the trip back to the kingdom. And Diane wants to know if she can ride along with her. She uh, she says that she's needed back there more at this point. Uh, Alden is around and Henry is around. He says he'll take good care of Henry. Carol and him say their tearful goodbye and she gets on her wagon and hits the road. So Henry and uh, they load a couple of boxes into the back of the wagon, which mm-hmm. are nails and screws that mm-hmm. are made by the uh, the smithy, I assume. Those are some nice boxes. Did you notice those boxes? And the dovetail joints and the lid and just oh they were beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Well, they've got a they've obviously got a good carpenter at Hilltop. That's what they're known for: carpentry and blacksmithing and growing food. Yeah, they seem like they're the most thriving, self sufficient community of them all. And making some nice friggin' boxes. I'd love to have a stack of those boxes. You know how long it would take me to make those boxes? It would take forever. Well, you better start now then. Well, it's too cold now. I'd have to also go out and buy a, a dovetail jig. I don't have a dovetail. I don't have a, a jig to do that. Well, if you ever needed a reason, this, yeah. this is it. Making beautiful boxes for you and for me. Christmas is coming. It sure is. It's only, it's less than a month away, man. Sure is. I better start thinking about some Christmas shopping. Anyways, get to that later. We take a commercial break in the show, and when we return, the search party is again watching the herd from a distance. And they note that it looks like it's doubled in size now. So somehow they've picked up more walkers or more whisperers. And they have uh, they have cell phones. 
Yeah, obviously. <laughs> Guys, like, dude, get that other part of the herd over here. We got we got some shit to do. We need more. Yeah, okay, I'll be right there, brah. <laughs> See? <laughs> That's exactly how they talk. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, and Oh, sorry, whispers, not surfers. Right. Okay, sorry. Right, you'll get it. Yeah. They are going towards the sound of the alarm clock, but Jesus just kind of looks on suspiciously from a distance. He's like, what's up with these guys? I don't trust them. Back to Henry. He's working with the blacksmith. Enid comes over to ask how his first day is going. She wants to talk with Alden for a minute, who, of course, is also there. And they walk away into the blurry background. And Earl invites Henry over for the evening. And Henry initially says no, and that he wanted to, he wanted, he was going to see if Enid wanted to do something that night. But then he notices in the background Enid and Alden kissing. So he changes his answer to, sure, I'll come over and hang out with you. Why not, Earl? That makes much more sense. Because we, after our chat last week, we were thinking that Enid is just too old for Henry. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a good argument to be made that she's a little too old for him. But we don't really know their exact ages. Although I think we did find out that Enid's age. But Alden, we don't know for sure. So maybe he's a little younger. And, you know, if... If, if, if we pegged it at what seventeen and twenty two, well, like that's not a huge age difference, but it is a significant age difference. Yeah, but I'm I'm. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. Like if it was seventeen and thirty five, like that's way more creepy in my opinion. But if Alden yeah. is a little younger than he looks, you know, six years on, Enid, don't forget, six years on, Enid is now twenty three, and yeah. Alden, if he was twenty two, now he's twenty eight. So that's not crazy. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird agey specific uh not specific but just kind of an agey love triangle that we've got going on here now. But we have uh Henry has another love interest coming up in a, in a few few short scenes. He does. And if Henry was, you know, 8 or 9 before, now he's 15 or 16 or whatever, 6 years yeah. later. I was being generous if he was 17 and Enid was 22. Yeah. You know, but it's more likely 16 and 23. Right. Yeah. That's, Which, that's like not a huge age. If it was the difference between like 36 and 43 or 46 and 53, that's not that bad. But 16 and 23. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. That's uh that's a significant uh, age difference in maturity and mentality and legality nowadays. Well, yeah, in the real world. Yeah. Uh, but you know, whatever he's, he sees them kissing and he's like, well, that's off the table. So he decides to go and hang out with Earl and Tammy that night. Yeah. Very ouch. Yes, exactly. We go back to Negan and it's probably the whole reason he wanted to go to the hilltop in the first place. He's like, Enid's there. I like Enid. I've had a, had a crush on her for years. Yeah. I'm going to go and spend some time there and get to know her. It's going to be great. We're going to fall in love. We're going to get married and have babies. And it's going to be the wonderful world that I've always wanted it to be. And she kissed another guy. On, oh, the yeah. heartbreak. On day one. Day right? one. <laughs> first thing that happens is the first interaction with her at all. Uh, she kisses another guy. Yeah. At that age, that is devastating yes. absolutely devastating really I, I feel for him i really do it's too bad uh but you know what there's other fish in the sea not many but at least one Which, yeah as it turns out as it turns out anyways before we get into that we go back over to negan and father gabe and gabe is inside negan's cell changing his bedpan so 
Why bedpan? Well, I mean, there's no toilet in there, is there? You can put a toilet seat on a bucket and, you know, deal with it that way and, like, put a lid down. Like, they have these things that you can poop in, and it doesn't have to be just, like, shitting in a bedpan and peeing in a bedpan and then cleaning it up. You don't have to do that. He's not an invalid. He's just in jail. Put a bucket in the corner, and every once in a while, like, fill the bucket with sawdust. They probably have some sawdust kicking around. Tons, probably. It's not that hard. Like, and then when you take a poop or leave a poop, whichever way, you know, you have a bucket of sawdust beside the bucket that you just pooped in. You take some sawdust and you cover the poop with sawdust. And that way it doesn't smell or smells less, let's just say. And then it also mixes for great compost for later usage. It doesn't have to be a bedpan. A bedpan is a mistake. He's been in here for years. Father Gabe taking out a bedpan a couple of times a day for years. No wonder he's pissed off. Yeah. Well, he's pissed off because of... uh uh, what's her name? But yeah, that, that bedpan is a mistake. You're right. Now that I think about it, that's that's the, I mean, again, maybe they're doing this to like torture Negan to just make his life as hard as possible. Uh, it's it's worse on Father Gabe. That's true. He's the one who I has mean, to Negan's carry just got a croup crap in the thing, right? Father Gabe's got to pick it up and take it out God. and wash his hands and stuff. It's, yeah. uh, I'm telling you, Negan, when uh, back during All Out War, Negan didn't take all their toilet seats, which would have been just as bad as taking all the mattresses, but he didn't take all their toilet seats. They probably have a few extras kicking around. Yeah, you're probably right. Put it on a bucket. Let's get this thing working. (laughs) Okay, well, they clearly haven't done that. And while he's changing this bedpan, this giant mistake of a bedpan, Negan is kind of taunting him and about he's saying this, this kind of funny thing about how something that was just in my ass literally goes <laughs> straight up your nose. Like, <laughs> well, that's what happens when you smell farts. I know. Right. It's yeah. actual particulate matter that's come out of somebody's butt. <laughs> yes, right? I know. It's not just a, somebody describing a fart over a long distance telephone line. It's not antiseptic like that there's something that's been in your in somebody's butt that just went up your nose my kids find that absolutely hilarious oh yeah and disgusting and i feel like we might as well yeah and everybody (laughs) continues to keep toothbrushes in their bathrooms which i think is a mistake but i do it yeah we all do it right because there's anyway so so everyone's moving on everyone's brushing their teeth with farticulate that's right gross okay uh, Negan also makes a comment about, uh, um, Father Gabe's one eye. So he's just giving him the business here. Gabe is all pissed off. He's says he's trying to help Negan, but it's never worked. And then Father Gabe reveals that Rosita is hurt and he can't leave to be with her because he has to stay back and look after you and change your gross bedpan. Uh, now Negan apologizes and I really felt the sincerity in his apology here i think he was being genuine saying i'm sorry uh yeah i I, mean he's it he his mentality runs home to mama every once in a while right he's he's a shithead at heart and he likes to be a shithead to people so when uh every once in a while no matter how much he wants to change uh he's still a shithead oh yeah that's for sure he but but he he sometimes every once in a while shows a little bit of um not really remorse but just a little bit of respect for someone else. You know what I mean? I do. So that's that's Negan, the complex Negan. Uh, Gabe leaves, though he's all pissed off, and he slams the cell door shut. 
he um and and leaves the basement and it turns out that Negan was handcuffed to the bars which I didn't realize at first and made yeah. me wonder why Gabe is just in there with him uh but he was handcuffed to the bars and another guy who's down there comes over and un unhandcuffs him from the bars yeah so they so they, he well he's probably got his hands handcuffed together through the bars well yeah it's not uh, yeah so he's not actually handcuffed to the bars but he's definitely uh restrained yeah, restraint. That's a good word. Perfect word, in fact. Right. Thank you. Um uh yeah. But uh and and, and that's that. He he disconnects him, unrestrains him from the bars and and there we go. When Father Gabe slammed the door mm-hmm. of that uh of the cell, it locked. Just point of order. It sure did look like it locked, yeah. Because it it was vibrating and because he slammed the door. If he slammed the door and it didn't lock, that door would open again. You yeah. ever slammed a door that doesn't quite latch? It's not as satisfying because the door bounces right back open. Yeah. No. So that sucker latched and locked. That lock automatically locks when the door is closed. I just want to point that out. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I'm a little overall a little bit disappointed with how this whole thing played out, which we'll get to. Yeah. We go back to Hilltop. Henry is eating there all alone. I guess this is dinner time now. And he's called over by some other teenagers that are just sort of hanging out. He goes to see them, and it turns out this is Gage, Addie, and Rodney. Not Abby, Addie with a D. Addie with a D? Yeah, and Rodney with an R. And they say that they think Henry's looking kind of mopey. Most of them have been there as long as they can remember, basically is what they're saying. And then Rodney mentions Oceanside, which is a community we haven't seen in Season 9, but it's nice to just know they're still around, I think. Yep. Uh, and then they offer to take Henry out into the woods when they sneak out at night to have some fun. And at first he's kind of surprised at this, but he agrees to go with them. Yeah, this is uh, the zombie apocalypse, the next generation. Well, yeah, that's it. Teenagers are the same all over, apparently. Yeah, when there's you know, the shit hits the fan and you get bored, you sneak out and get drunk. I know that's what I do. Yeah, well, you're not a teenager. You don't have to sneak out. You can basically oh, yeah. go, I'm going out to get drunk. And then leave. <laughs> Good point. Or, <laughs> as I prefer, just do it in my own house and never Just leave. get drunk. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> I, I like it here. I don't like it outside of here. No. I can get drunk right here. Especially tonight. It's snowing and crappy out there. So, yeah. Forget that. Uh, but as a teenager, you have to sneak out. Yeah, most most do. We go to Rosita. She's in bed recovering. Michonne and Sadiq are there. And he apologizes for keeping secrets from her, but he says, I'm on your side. And uh, Michonne reveals that she she knew people would, you know, still be angry, but she says she will not mend fences with them, at least not the way they want her to. And she again mentions that she made difficult choices, but the people are alive because of it. So we're, we're getting little bits and pieces of information here. And it seems like now, whatever whatever happened, Michonne believes that her, you know, decision making and whatever actions she took kept a lot of people alive, which is important. And if other people don't see it that way, there's kind of nothing she can do about it. Yeah. So, again, what the hell happened? Who knows? Tell us. Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a season nine B thing. I, they're not going to extend it into season ten. We're going to find out in the next eight episodes, which uh, come back in February. So it's a little bit of time to wait, but don't worry. It'll happen. All right. It'll happen. At this point, Rosita wakes up 
and she's in a panic about the search party. She says they have no idea what they're dealing with, and she jumps up, pulls her IV out, and <laughs> runs away. <laughs> <laughs> so she's clearly, clearly upset by something. Hey, Chris and Jason, this is Lee in St. Catharines, and I got a holy crap for you. Did you notice the necklace around Michonne's neck? It has Rick's ring on it, I believe. He wasn't wearing his wedding ring when he died. I looked into it, um, but Michonne is wearing his wedding ring. Ironically, that's the same wedding ring that was around Lori's neck when she was banging Shane. Imagine if that wedding ring could talk. <laughs> yes, imagine if it could. It has seen a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So she does have the ring around her neck. I thought that was an interesting point there by Lee and St. Catharines. Thank you, Lee. Commercial break, and we come back. There is, well, we're back with the search party, and they're approaching a cabin. Now, what did you think of this this big wide landscape shot of, like, the flashlights coming through the fog and the cabin and the storm in the distance? I thought it was pretty pretty, um, pretty cool looking. It was pretty cool looking. Uh, I have a I have a problem with flashlights in the fog. Like, you've you have you ever tried driving through the fog and having your high beams on? Yes. What are you going to see? More fog, usually. Yeah, big fat load of nothing. Right. Turn the fucking lights off. I guess, yeah. I guess you don't need the lights. They don't help. <laughs> no, they don't. But they sure look good from a distance when you're on camera. Oh, yeah. For dramatic effect, they're absolutely awesome. That's why I drive in the fog with high beams on, for dramatic effect. For anyone watching you from a distance, right? Yeah. Okay. It's like, oh, look at that guy coming around the corner with the friggin' lights. He can't see nothing, I bet. No, but we can see him, and I guess that's yeah. important. So the thunder is rumbling around them. Inside this cabin, they find Eugene hiding in, like, a cellar, basically, with a trap door covered by hay. Uh, yeah, it's it's the barn hole. I mean, every barn has a hole, right? Totally. Every with barn. a trap door on it for, you know, secret pigs and stuff. Every- <laughs> like, why, why, what's this hole for? <laughs> it's for, it's a cold room for storing food and preserves and stuff like that. Potatoes? Potatoes, exactly. All right. He's Bye. down there. Every barn, every cabin in the woods has one of these and he's in it so he's clearly upset though they pull him out he says he sprained his knee and he starts telling them that the dislocated his knee excuse me dislocated that's right yeah uh he starts telling them them that the herd that was following them has made its way back three times they he says it's looking for him and he says that they could hear him and rosita could hear them whispering um now the other guys don't really seem to know what to make of this. Aaron, I thought, delivers a, a hilarious line at this point. He says, you mean they were talking? <laughs> and he, Yeah, that's what I just said. Weren't you listening? I know, but the, he delivers it like that with the pause in there. And I just, it felt like, like, to me, it felt like this funny kind of almost old timey delivery. It's like, oh my God, they, they, they came back looking for me three times. Rosita and I could hear them, them whispering. You mean they were talking? That's 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 just the way it played in my brain for some reason. Um. Anyways, it was funny. So the, they get Jesus and Daryl, and then they're like, "What the hell?" When you don't know what you're talking about. But then suddenly the herd is back, so they grab Eugene and make a run for it. Yeah, Out. run, oh. bastards, run! This herd is coming back around. Coming. They must be tired. I mean, this these they've been walking around with this herd looking for Eugene. And Rosita, for reasons I can't quite understand yet, but I'm hoping we'll get there. Uh, but they've been walking around for like a couple of days, right? Well, like they've been 
could it all have been the same day? Like the the morning is when Rosita and Eugene were covered in mud on the on the bank, and now that's the night, the same that same day. Yeah, of the same day. More time than that has to have passed. Well, maybe not. Like because I don't think that they uh, like in the morning they went up the tower and then came down and then went in the bar and then Rosita was running. Or uh, sorry, then they came down and then they hid. Uh, in, like they did in the Hobbit, uh, with the mud and Predator with the mud on them, and then they ended up in the barn. And then Rosita ran ahead, got picked up, and then everybody. All this happening in the same day. It seems like a lot of things, uh, happening in a very uh, short amount of time, which is with with what I assume is a great amount of distance. Yeah, right? no, this you- isn't twenty four where everything happens in real time mm-hmm. and Jack Bauer gets across Los Angeles in uh, a commercial break. Yeah. Everyone uh, knows that's impossible. Exactly. And he never eats. Actually, he ate once in season three, but that's okay. Uh, anyway, I just, I, I have to assume that a couple of days have passed and, and we also have the other storyline of um, Henry and uh, Daryl uh, that all happening like they met up uh, during the day and then they spent the night with Daryl and then they went to the hilltop. Yeah. So that timeline has also, so either they were fucking with the timelines or a couple of days have passed. Yeah. Okay. You're probably right. Maybe a couple of days have passed. So you're right. They've been walking around looking for them for some time, but maybe that's. Those whisperers must be tired. I mean, unless they went through that apple grove, maybe they're not even looking for the, looking for Eugene. They just want to keep circling around to the apples so that they can continue eating. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're just looking for food, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Um, Brian in Lynn, Massachusetts wrote, holy crap, did you see that? Eugene still has the uncanny ability to duck into a hiding spot, then miraculously cover up all traces of said hiding spot while down there. No, that was explained. That wasn't explained, but I assumed that Rosita hid him in there before she left. Yeah, well, he even said Rosita stashed me here, right? So she brought him there and hit him and and then took off because she knew she couldn't travel as quickly with his, you know, dislocated knee. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's how that's that explains that. So it wasn't Eugene somehow magically, you know, removing all traces of himself. Yeah. Never. Also, even if Eugene had to do that, I would uh, never underestimate the power of having a coat hanger available to do things like that. Like (laughs) get down into a thing and then you use the coat hanger to go through the cracks and move all the leaves over top of the the door. Right. Of course. Coat hanger, the universal tool. (laughs) It's a, yeah, and I'm kind of sad because you can't buy wire coat hangers anymore. Yes, you can. No, you can't. You can get them from dry cleaners, but that's about it. Oh, well, maybe they're all and probably not for much longer because metal's pricey. Yeah, I guess so. How am I going to break into my own car when I need to? Then, yeah, you're going to have to buy buy a Slim Jim. <laughs> I guess so, and then never get stopped by the police with it on you. I don't think it's illegal, but if you have a Slim Jim for breaking into cars, they're going to start asking questions. They're probably going to want to know why. That's right. Yeah. They're going to like, hey, can I talk to you downtown for a little while? Bring your Slim Jim. Like maybe two or three days? <laughs> yeah. Let's just have a talk, shall we? All right. Anyways, we cut back over to the kids now, and they are in their secret party cabin. So now it's nighttime. <laughs> and it's a wonderful cabin. They got a chandelier. Yeah. Uh, this is a great place. Did you notice the, the improvised drum kit? 
It was awesome. No, I didn't. Look in the background of the scene. There is a whole makeshift drum kit there. And I have a number of questions about that. Like, why build a drum kit? Although I could probably answer that because drums are fun. But B, well, not also, in the zombie apocalypse. They're loud. Yeah. Doesn't seem like the kind of thing you'd want to build. If you need a drum kit, go find an electronic kit and just beat away on that. But anyways, they oh, have yeah, a drum look kit. At that. Yeah, that's fun. Isn't that funny? That's very industrious for a bunch of teenagers that just want to drink. Well, it's like, hey, man, let's make a Gilligan's Island style drum kit in the background. I guess they've got a lot of free time on their hands. I don't know. But as you said, they've been drinking. They offer some booze to Henry. At first he refuses, but then, of course, he changes his mind and drinks it. And it seems like he goes from zero to 100 in like one sip. Like he's instantly <sighs> drunk. Well, yeah, he's also, what, 15, 16? Let's, we can assume that one drink equals 10. Okay. Can't we? One drink equals five. Five drinks now would probably floor me. Sure. Uh, well, no, that's actually not true. Five drinks now is like a minimum for me. <laughs> yeah, well, I got more body mass than a 16-year-old, let's just say. And, uh, yeah, I... He's a teetotaler. Let's go with he's a teetotaler. He's 16 years old. He doesn't have any body fat. Uh, he probably is a an easy drunk. Well, I but I have to assume he'd already been drinking a little bit. He'd had maybe some other drinks that weren't so harsh because he, he reacted negatively to this, whatever this moonshine type stuff was. So uh, I just don't think one sip of some hard liquor is going to, you know, destroy the kid like this, but... Kind of, kind of looks like what happened. Um, but they take him outside and they show him a walker hole that they have dug, and there is one severely decayed walker in there. Looks like they've been throwing darts at it for fun because it's got some darts sticking out of its head and its body. Well, if then the dart didn't kill the zombie. No, it's just a poke. You can get you can get hit in the skull with a dart and not uh, penetrate your brain. Well, that's because your skull's pretty hard, and they yeah. just normally bounce off. You probably scrape things. I mean, if you throw hard enough, I don't know if a dart could stick in your skull. That'd have to be a pretty sharp dart with a pretty hard throw. But as we know, zombies and people in general in this universe have soft uh, skulls. skulls yeah. And just body parts. Everything's relatively soft. So a dart would easily go through... Uh, somebody's skull, and it would tickle their brain. And we've seen before that as long as you tickle that brain a little bit, zombie dies. Well, maybe this one got lucky. Maybe it just, its brain has shrank or contracted, and uh, the dart didn't hit it. There's no brain I, tickling. I'm calling continuity error on, uh, on the dart in the head. They, If they would have put darts in the back and the shoulder and the arms and stuff, fine. But uh, having the dart in the actual head and stuck there mm-hmm. for a while, uh, to me, in this universe, means the zombie's dead. Yeah, well, it wasn't. It was walking around, and the the boys try to... It looks like they're trying to throw lassoes around its neck, just for fun. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know what they're doing. They're playing rope games. Yeah. Oh, no, they're rings. They're just uh, rope rings. They're not lassoing it. They're just trying to... It's like a ring toss onto the zombies. Oh, wasn't it... Tied no, they were just uh, rings of rope. Oh, okay. so they were just individual rings that they would throw. They weren't tied to anything, so they just they were just trying to do a ring toss on the zombie. Interesting. I thought it looked like sort of a lasso, and they would do that and then draw it back. But 
I guess that wouldn't make sense because if you if you get it around its neck, what are you going to do? Like just yank until its head comes off? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, while they're doing this, Addie walks away, so she seems to not be into it. And then Rodney starts peeing on the on the walker. Uh, Henry doesn't like this, I guess. He knocks down Rodney, then jumps down into the zombie hole with his staff and kills the thing and then kind of collapses to the ground. And the other boys leave him there because they're pissed off. I think it was a bad decision to jump into that hole, especially if you're like wasted drunk. Uh, but he does it and he survives. So, yep, that's that. Dumbass, you gotta poke that zombie from the side of the hole. You oh, didn't have to jump down in there. You didn't have to jump down, no. Not and how's he gonna get out now? These, his friends are gonna be mad at him and they'll just basically look at him and go, idiot, now you're gonna be the zombie in a few weeks. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking too. It's like he's stuck down there, but when we find out later he just got out, I guess. Uh, we go back to the search party first, though, and they are still running away from walkers. They don't understand why they're following them. They just have no idea what's going on. And they come to an intersection, and Eugene says that the walkers must be evolving. He says that, you know, he suggests that if the brain is still alive, it can change, maybe learn to talk. And then Jesus pipes up and says, yeah, if they can learn to talk, maybe they can learn to hunt and strategize and things like that. Um, so these guys really don't know what the hell's going on, but they think the walkers are actually evolving and learning to speak. You know what I thought? What do you when think? This, this happened. This reminded me of the Simpsons episode where they parodied uh, Planet of the Apes. He can talk. He can talk. He can talk. I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> so we needed a zombie to come up behind him and start singing. <laughs> that's right. That's what. Uh, that's essentially what I was thinking. Well, that's pretty good. Uh, that that would have been funny. Not maybe appropriate for this show, but funny nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eugene suggests that they need to leave him behind, of course, because. He's slowing them down. Um, and after deciding on a few things, you you know, uh, like Jesus suggesting that they split up, Daryl says he'll go on his own, lead them away, so Aaron and Jesus can get Eugene back to their horses. That's what they decide to do. Cool. Uh, I really like this scene, though, just the four of them standing there talking. You could kind of feel the intensity I thought um, Tom Payne did a really good job just sort of laying down the law at first, you know, saying when Eugene was saying, leave me here, I'm slowing you down, you know, save yourselves. Uh, Jesus was kind of like, that's not your call. Like we came out to find you, we're getting you back. I, I thought these guys all did a really good job in this scene and I enjoyed watching them act basically. Yeah, it was good. And they were literally at a crossroads. They literally were. And they decided, needed to decide what to do and which way to go. That's right. That's what you do at a crossroads. Okay, so back at Alexandria, it's night. Negan's sitting in his cell, bouncing his ball, and he misses one, and the ball goes through the cell bars outside into the other section of the basement. He seems upset about this at first, but then realizes that the cell door is unlocked, so he pushes it open, walks outside, picks up his ball, and is free. Well, why does he throw in the ball at the bars? No, I think he was throwing it like it, it, he miscaught it or it hit something and it bounced the wrong way. He was throwing it against the wall like he was doing before. All right. It looked a little weird. Uh, but, but why was the, why was the cell door unlocked, Jason? Uh, somebody lo- unlocked it. And it was Father Gabe. 
Uh, no, I don't think it was Father Gabe. Uh, I'm not sure who would have unlocked it yet, but I have to assume that somebody <laughs> secretly, because uh, maybe Negan was asleep, unconscious. Maybe they took him out for uh, a walk because, you know, somebody just sitting in a cage for his entire life is going to atrophy to the point where uh, if the door did open after six years of being in this cage, he wouldn't be able to get very far. Mm-hmm. He'd be winded by the time he got to the top of the stairs. Well, okay. So this is an interesting theory that I had not thought of. I just thought, well, the gate didn't lock properly when Father Gabe slammed it and stormed away, and this was a mistake. And I think that's what we are supposed to believe. But you've come along with this other theory that maybe there's someone involved that actually purposefully unlocked it. Yeah. But how would they unlock it if he wasn't in the cage? Like if they took him for a walk? No, but like he, unlocking it would, wouldn't make any sense. But I can't, it was locked. When Father Gabe slammed that door, it vibrated like that latch had latched. Yeah. Even if it latched and didn't lock, that doesn't mean uh, that Negan wouldn't have been able to push it open with a finger. So it's possible. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying it's impossible. Even if it latched oh. but didn't lock, right? Uh, it still wouldn't be obvious that it was openable by Negan. But it could be openable. It could be openable, but he wouldn't notice. Okay, yeah. He wouldn't, it wouldn't, it would look as if it was locked, but I I don't know how the door could have closed and vibrated like that and not be locked. All right, so if, if that's the case, it would have been open, but you're saying there would have been no reasonable expectation for him to realize that it was open because he's been there six years. It's yeah. never been unlocked before. And it's not like it has a doorknob and a lock. Right? No. It has a lock, which probably latches the moment the door is closed. Yeah, probably. You would think a jail cell would work that way. Um, But if we are to believe that it was actually just unlocked and somehow it was just open and he realized this, I don't think, to be honest, there's anything more to it than it's what they're supposed to be portraying is that Gabe, Father Gabe, screwed it up and didn't lock the door because he was so flustered when he was leaving, he just slammed it and left. Yeah. Um, maybe there's more to it than that. I don't think that's what the show is going for, but if it, if there is, it'll be a surprise to me, and I think that'll be good, and it's a, it's a whole different sort of take on the thing that, that I didn't see coming. Yep. So I don't know. Does, um, in the comic books, sorry, this might be spoilery for the comic books, but I'm going to ask outright. Okay. Does Negan get out? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to talk about that a little bit more because this scene is kind of in the comics. Oh, is it? Yeah. And it plays out a little differently. I guess I'll just say that for now. Maybe we can do an after hours. Yeah. I guess we could do that briefly. We haven't done an after hours in a while. Okay. But let me ask you this. When Negan walked out of there, it's been six years he's been in that cell. At this point, he's pretty used to living in there. Do you think Negan stood there for a second, picked up that tennis ball, and briefly considered going back into the cell? Yes. And then changed, and then decided not to. Negan, I don't know what Negan was thinking, but I think that a normal person would have thought twice about actually getting out of there. Because six years in that cell, I assume that he hasn't, like it's a little ambiguous. I they can't keep somebody in a cell and have them be healthy for that long, right? They become a dribbling mess, 
and they don't get exercise and uh, they end up sleeping 20 hours a day. And uh, so they have to let him out. They have, they have to give him a little yard time. So if they've been giving him yard time, then he knows what the world is like outside now. Mm-hmm. Like he knows what the layout of uh, Alexandria is. He knows, probably knows how to escape. But if he's been in that cell, like physically in that cell for the entire time, anything could have changed outside. Like the walls could have changed. The gate is different. Mm-hmm. We know the walls have changed and the gate is different. Yeah. He doesn't know anything about what's going on out there. He doesn't have, if he's going to be a, go out there and start bashing people in the head with uh, a stick that he finds, that's one thing. But if he wants to be clandestine, uh, he's got to do a little recon, right? He's, he, he has no idea what's going on out there. And I, I would think that a normal person would probably go, I have no idea what the world is like out there. I haven't been out there in a long time. I probably should just stay here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I kind of agree with that. And I don't. I didn't really see that on on Jeffrey D. Morgan's face in the episode. No. I I feel like he walked out of there, picked up that tennis ball, and immediately was like, "I am free. I am getting the f out of here." Yeah. So, but good luck if he's if they've given him yard time, then he probably has a chance. If they haven't been giving him yard time. Like I say, he'll get to the top of the stairs, you know, need to sit down. Right. Okay. Well, we'll find out uh, <laughs> in 2019, I think. Uh, but Noop J on the internet writes, holy crap, Negan escaped. My question is, uh, how? Did I miss something or did Father Gabe miss something in not locking up? I'm curious if he's up to no good or if his time in prison has changed him. The show has been doing a good job at bait and switching. Rick didn't die. Maggie didn't die. And maybe Negan won't be evil. <laughs> I don't know. That's a it's a lot to ask of Negan, I think. Yeah, I think uh I I don't know. That door was locked when Father Gabe left. So either that's a continuity error mm-hmm. or somebody else is helping him out of that cell. Or maybe the lock uh was so banged up from years of use that Father Gabe slamming it at some point during the rest of that day, it just went click and mm-hmm. opened by itself. Yeah. Or, Jason, maybe in six years, it was never really locked at all. Oh, yeah, see? Maybe it was the first time he ever tried pushing the door open. Yeah, maybe. It's like, oh, crap, my tennis oh, ball went shit. out there. That's just like what happened to uh, to Morgan and the cheesemaker. Uh-huh. That door wasn't locked. Yeah, you're right. It's, a, it's, a, it's happened on the show before, so maybe that's the case now. I don't know. See, that's why you should always test the limits of your cells and your confinement. Yeah. So if you ever find yourself somewhere that you uh, can't get out of, test the limits. Just try opening. Check every, yeah, just try. Well, first of all, try opening the door. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> you never know. Right, exactly. Repeated stress on something can really degrade it over time. Oh, and these are not professional bars either. These are, uh, uh, they're kind of, looks like a makeshift sort of kind of thing. It's not, uh, uh, if he had a towel or a shirt, and I'm sure he's wearing a shirt because I didn't see Jeffrey Dean Morgan nipples in this particular episode. <laughs> nope. Uh, so if you have a shirt and something, you can uh, you wrap the shirt around it. If you have a stick, you can tighten that stick, uh, like put some torque on it and compress the bars uh, and do that repeatedly over different bars over time, and you can actually wiggle loose the uh, the joints. So uh, there's ways to get out of this kind of cell. This is why, uh, you know, prison cell doors uh, and cell walls 
are uh, designed to much higher standards than these bars. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. Well, if I'm ever in a makeshift cell, I know what to do now. Yeah, and ask for um, dental floss, lots and lots of dental floss. Well, don't ask to say, I want lots and lots of dental floss. Just like, can I have some dental floss and then keep it? Because then you can make like a rope out of it. Like dental floss is pretty strong, right? Yeah. Put that together, you get yourself a good rope. And then you put that rope around the bars and you get a stick to make some torque, like a toothbrush or something. Uh, you can get out. I, I can tell you've clearly thought this through and that's good. I've, I've watched this kind of stuff on TV. All right. Excellent. Well, speaking of TV. TV provides the answers, my friend. Watch more TV. That's my recommendation. Good, good. Speaking of TV, we go to a TV commercial break here and we come back and then we are with Tara and Earl. They're coming down to see Henry who is now in the cell at Hilltop. So I guess he made it out of his hole somehow and made his way back to Hilltop. We find out he was really drunk, that he threw up on a pig. I, That's weird. I don't know why that's a thing, but like... Well, he, I, I'm not... I don't think it's a hobby. No, I mean, but it's a thing. like, how do you accidentally throw up on a pig? Like, was he trying to ride it home from the party cabin? Like, what's, <laughs> no, what's going on? No, you're walking by the pig pen... And they probably has a railing of some court because some cart kind, some sort. Yeah. Uh, and you just lean over it and start puking because it's a pig pen. <laughs> Who's going to notice vomit in a pig pen? Except maybe right? the pigs. Yeah. And you accidentally vomit on a pig. Okay. That I can see. But I just yeah. thought it was a weird thing to say. Well, I don't think he meant, he's like, oh, I'm going to throw up. I better find a pig. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can only do it right if I threw up, throw uh, up on a pig. I need a pig. Where's the pig? Quick. Oh my God. Get me a pig. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyways, he does. Also, she mentions her boots. He threw up on her boots. Uh, And, of course, we find out that Henry canceled his plans with Earl for dinner, if that wasn't clear already. Earl is extremely disappointed, and he suggests that he doesn't want to mentor Henry again if this is how he's going to behave. But ultimately, Henry, Henry realizes he screwed things up. He knows people are counting on him. And, um, he says he got a little overexcited and didn't understand that this is actually a huge deal for him. Uh, and he wanted to get away from the pressure of it all for a little bit. And of course, as we know, uh, Earl was a, uh, former alcoholic. So he now sympathizes with him on this point, softens up a little bit and agrees to continue training Henry once he gets out of prison. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, it's good. It's more of a jail though, not prison. Well, what are you going to do? Incarceration? Is that, is that? Yeah, he's been incarcerated, but yeah. Okay. Uh, cut over to Daryl. He is now up the road a little bit on the roof of a little cabin, trying to lure the walkers towards him. He lights some fireworks, throws them down. They explode with a crackling noise. The walkers initially turn toward him, but then turn right back and continue on the way, uh, continue down the way that Aaron and Eugene and Jesus went. And Daryl has no idea what's going on. Okay. So this is the second question I have about the Whisperers. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much control over the zombies that are mixed into the Whisperers or the mis- Whisperers mixed into the zombies? Who knows what the ratio is, right? Uh, but there is a ratio of actual zombies to Whisperers. They have enough control over this herd where they can direct it away from, uh, you know, and a loud noise and light and stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, that is that is a good question. You would think that some of the zombies in that herd, the real zombies, would just turn towards the firework and keep going that way. But maybe that's not how the herd mentality works. Maybe if enough of them 
go a different way, the rest will just kind of turn and follow. And, and uh, like, we know they pick up more zombies as they go, right? Because... Because if there's a zombie just leaning against a tree and a herd comes by, he'll end up getting up and start following them. So I don't think they really control them, and they probably don't have control over all of them. But I guess if there are enough whisperers and they all go one way, most of the herd will just follow them. Uh, yep. Seems to be how I guess it works. so. Yeah. Because not many okay. of them, well, none of them that we saw continued towards Daryl. And like I said, Daryl doesn't know what the hell's going on. Right. So there you go. Uh, the other three guys, they come to the wall of a cemetery. It's extremely foggy now. It's dark. It's creepy. And it's we can... like they're in a zombie movie of some kind. I know. It's nuts, isn't it? Um, we can hear a lot of walkers close by. They sneak through a break in the wall, but the walkers are very close behind, although it does provide a choke point, so not too many can get through at once. They find a gate, but it is stuck in the dirt and won't open. So they try to lift Eugene over the wall, but they can't get him up. And this bothered me a little bit because I'm pretty sure those two guys could lift Eugene over that wall, considering Eugene was able to get his arms over the top of it. So I don't know why they couldn't get him over there. Uh, well, he, Eugene would still need to really want to get over the wall. So it's a matter of if Eugene doesn't believe he can get over the wall, he's not getting over that wall. Oh, come on. You don't think Aaron and Jesus are strong enough to just like get their hands on his ass and hoist him up there and just dump him over it? I think they are. I don't know. They're probably, they're, I mean, they're, they're strong and everything, but uh, just the, the weight of Eugene to the muscle power of these two little guys, essentially, well, what's, uh, it's hard. What's, it's hard to tell. What's Eugene? Like 200 pounds? A couple hundred pounds? couple hundred pounds. Maybe 210, you know, maybe not, maybe not even that much. I don't know. That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot of weight. 200 pounds. There's, you know, if I, for me, I'd have to take 105 pounds and lift that sucker over a wall. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I know. Uh, actually, I am sure. I, I don't think I could do it. I think I'd need some kind of leverage, like give me enough, a big enough lever. I can move the world, but I don't think I could just manhandle it over. And, you know, really actors are, they're they're small people, right? Like they're they're not regular sized people. Like they're they tend to be smaller. Uh, it looks better on camera. I don't know. Many of them are, but, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sure that they're physically fit and everything, but that's still a lot of mass to move up and over a wall. And if the mass doesn't believe it can get over the wall, uh, you know. It, it's a big factor. Well, it's a little thing, but I just thought his arms were grabbing the top of that wall. I feel like they could have made it happen, but they did not. Right. And now, you know, the walkers are basically right behind them. So they realize that they have to make a stand and fight here. So they step up and draw their weapons. And I thought this was another, you know, other than the not being able to climb the wall. I thought this whole scene right here was another really good one, to be honest, and really intense. And I could I could kind of really feel the realization in the two characters, Jesus and Aaron, that they're now in a moment where they're in a nearly unwinnable situation. Uh-huh. And they have to but they have to step up and try. Like this is almost like a suicide mission at this point. There's nothing they can do, but they're going to fight back anyways. And when Aaron turns around, he kind of looks back and he says there's no time, as in they, they have no more time to try and get this gate open or get over the wall. I thought it was awesome. I thought it was, it was, he, 
the way he delivered that line again for me was equally like terrifying, but also heroic <laughs> in a way, you yeah. know, he's like, this is it. We're probably going to die. I'm scared shitless, but we're going to do this anyways. And I thought it was great. Really, really it good. Was, it was re- really good. I, if this scene wasn't so, uh, tropey fog zombies, uh, uh, cemetery yeah. like with walls and gates and stuff. Uh, it would be, it was, it was actually very beautiful and nice to look at, but it was a little too on the nose. You know what I mean? It was, it was very typical or tropey for zombie movie, but I think they did a pretty good job with it. I mean, they, again, like these characters and these actors, I think were great. And yeah, you've kind of seen this before, but it's not like the zombies were coming out of the ground through the graves. You know, that would have been silly, obviously. Yeah. But I think it worked pretty well. It was intense. It was creepy. It was a little bit scary. And I feared for the lives of these characters. Now, I kind of thought Aaron was going to bite it, especially when he turns around and goes, there's no time. And he's he's sort of becoming a hero. Didn't play out that way. But I thought Aaron was done here for some reason. Um, really? I never thought, any, I didn't think anybody was done. It didn't occur to me that somebody might die. It, well, it really didn't. Well, it, sometimes it does on the show. Sometimes it doesn't for me. But in a, in a situation like this, I, I felt like something was coming. But I thought it was going to be Aaron. Anyways, they fight back. They do kill a bunch of them. Eugene even gets one. And then there's sort of a slight break in the action. And I think we could kind of barely hear some zombie whispering. Um, there was nothing really, uh, you couldn't really make out what they were saying, but I think they were trying to imply that they could just barely hear them. Uh, and suddenly Michonne appears outside the gate and she's there with Magna and her crew. Yep. The, the question I have here is twofold. Number one, how did Michonne know where they were? Uh-huh. And number two, Michonne didn't know that Magna was there, even though they showed up at basically the same time, because Michonne says, what are you doing here? So I could kind of be on board if Michonne brought them specifically, but she didn't. She didn't know they were there. And we also find out as they join the fight that they have all their weapons, which I guess they could have just picked up that means we have to believe that they just left them on the ground outside Hilltop the whole time. <laughs> so why did they have their weapons? Is question number one. And question number two is how does Michonne know they're there? And I guess question number three is how did Michonne not know they were like right behind them? It all seems a little convenient. It, uh, well, yeah, I don't understand why anybody's there. This is the same thing as, uh, as the tiger showing up at the end of, uh, season seven. Yeah, seven or maybe the first half of eight. I forget now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, how did the tiger get over the wall? Why is the tiger there? How come the tiger attacked that one person in the middle of the crowd? Oh. It all, there's all kinds of questions uh, about what the hell is going on. Uh, you know, why are they there? Why are they there separately, but exactly at the same time? Like, did, did Daryl go and run and get them? Uh, maybe they'll explain it in the next episode. Maybe Daryl made it all the way back to the hilltop. And said, uh, you know what? We got a herd situation going on here. We need some help. And then uh, him and Michonne left. And then the uh, the other people went, you know what? We should go help out too. So let's go get our weapons and get the hell out of here and go help them. You know, but they didn't explain any of that. No. And that seems like a poor explanation. 
thanks. <laughs> well, I'm just saying if that's what it is, uh, I'm going to be disappointed. I think we're in a situation here like the tiger. We're just going to have to accept it and we're never going to get any more information. It's just, we needed some rescue here and we got some. Uh, yeah, we needed a, you know, just, yeah, it was, it was sad. I, I don't, the thing is, I like this episode. Like overall, I think this was a solid episode. Me too. But, you know, looking at the little things here, like this in particular, uh, I have no problems with somebody swooping in and saving the day. Han Solo did that at the end of Star Wars. Spoiler alert for Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> 1977, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, he, you know, Han Solo takes off and says, you know what? I've got my money. Uh, this ain't my fight. I'm getting the hell out of here. And he got the hell out of there. And then he shows up at the end to save the day, uh-huh. right? Let's blow this pop stand and uh, get back to uh, drinking, I guess, is what he was thinking. Sure. So, uh, you know, it happens, but it's it's explainable, right? As long as it uh, makes internal consistent sense, uh, I'm okay with it. This does not make internal consistent sense. Why are these people here? Why do they have their weapons? Why are they here as two separate groups at exactly the same time? That's a very good point that I had forgotten about in my viewings. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I can I can understand Daryl showing up because he was there with them anyways, and he realizes that the zombies are going after them, so he basically goes as fast as he can to get there to help them. That makes sense. And if only so, he'd shown up, that would have been fine. Okay, did Rosita... Convince them to go because she said uh, they don't know what they're getting into and said, hey, we have zombies that are talking and doing and behaving very strangely. Uh, we need to go find them. And and they went, okay, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. But that's Ro- that's Rosita wasn't it. here, but that's okay. She's, you know, in the hospital. So maybe Rosita said go, and then they just magically path found their way there without any rhyme or reason. Maybe they ran into Daryl and Daryl went, they went that away and they all go that away. Yeah. But explain it. it, Somebody. Well, I think, I think you're onto something here. I think it must be Rosita. She obviously told them what was going on. So Michonne knew why she was going out. She thought maybe they were in over their heads and they needed help. And so now the search party needed rescuing as well. So that kind of makes sense, but it doesn't explain how she knew where to go unless somehow she was able to follow the trail too, but it seems like she just teleported there, right? Um, yeah. And again, yeah, Michonne and Magna and her crew show up at the same time, but are unaware, or at least Michonne's unaware of them. So that still doesn't really hold up, but but you're right. I liked a lot of this. I thought this scene was was great, but there are some questions here that are a little bit nagging on me for answers that I just don't think we're going to get. Yeah. Which is a bummer. Um, anyhow, they all start working to get the gate open. Uh, Jesus stays, and they do. They get the dirt, you know, cleaned away a little bit. Uh, Jesus stays to fight off more walkers while Aaron and Eugene get through to the other side. We get this incredible slow-mo ninja Jesus fight sequence with him yeah. just destroying the walkers, like flipping around. It's amazing. I thought it was great. Um, just as he's going for the gate, he takes out one walker, then he swings at another one who ducks, the walker ducks, and spins Jesus around and stabs him in the back. Yeah, that so was, that was pretty cool. He, the, the zombie dodges the blow and stabs, uh, Jesus in the back. 
Now, before he lets him fall to the ground, he whispers in his ear, you are where you do not belong. So it's the first like <laughs> direct communication between Walker and human. <laughs> yeah. Um, Janelle on the internet writes, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Anyone Aaron likes or that we like for him dies. Poor guy. Daryl, you might be next. Couldn't they have killed Eugene instead? <laughs> no. No. Well, I'm sad that Jesus is dead. Yeah, me too. Because he's finally come to the forefront and look what happens. Well, the other people who are on the other side of the gate now see this and they kind of charge back in to join the fight. We, as they charge in, we get a shot of more quote unquote zombies running into the fight, holding knives, holding weapons, not moving like zombies, moving very much like people. And Daryl is here now too. He's showed up finally. They kill a bunch more zombies. And during a break in the action, Aaron kneels down over Jesus, who already appears to be dead. So he died really quick. Yep. Um, Well, I got stabbed through, you know, the spine and the chest and the. Fair enough. Well, I, yeah, I'd be, I'm fine with him being dead almost instantly. Yeah, I guess so. I just, I don't know. I guess maybe. It's not like to cut his leg. Like I know. To cut the outside of his leg and it's like, oh my God, he died from a leg wound. Maybe I was just secretly hoping that there was a chance though. I, I wanted him to live. I wanted him to be okay. Uh, but he's, he's already dead really. Uh, Mich- it's hard to survive oh, uh, yeah. a blade through the liver. I fully agree. I fully agree. Without immediate. Emergency medical care. But I mean, are you dead in like five seconds, 10 seconds, like before you hit the ground? I don't know. This never happened to me. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, let's hope it doesn't. Michonne, <laughs> Michonne is there. She's swinging around and um, seems to notice something about the blood that is on her katana. And Miguel on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see Michonne's face when she noticed red blood on her sword? So, yeah, she doesn't seem to understand what's going on at this point either. Um, When the action dies down a little bit, there are no more walkers around at this moment. Daryl checks out a body and he realizes that he can cut the face off the body and it's a living person beneath. So it's a hat. Well, not a hat. It's a hood that is laced on. Yeah. Right? Like a... um, he had to cut the laces. Uh, a wrestler. Yeah. Like those wrestlers that lace on their uh, their masks. So that's uh that's pretty serious. Like that's like that takes some time to like skin a zombie uh and then like make this mask and then put it on and then lace it up. Mm-hmm. Like that's uh that's pretty significant. That's not just like putting on a mask like Hannibal Lecter did in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Spoiler for that movie. Uh <laughs> You're on fire with the spoilers today. <laughs> yeah, old movies spoilers. Um, yeah, so this is uh, that's pretty significant. Like that, that's that like takes some crafting skills. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's a group of people sitting down going, no, 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 don't do it that way. You have to like fold it over this way and then make uh, make a hole for it. That'll just rip open in like half an hour and then you'll be dead. So it's like people learning, training, uh, practicing, doing. Uh, it's, it's a whole culture. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's taken years to uh, perfect. Absolutely. But that's what they're doing. Um, they're basically scalping zombies, including the face and everything. And yeah, and lacing it up at the back and making it an actual sort of hood that you can wear. So, uh, anyways, turns out 
that it's a human wearing one of these zombie masks. And so these aren't just, these are not evolving walkers. Walkers are still walkers. These are actually people who are pretending to be walkers. Aha. Uh-huh. So we hear a little more whispering uh, around the group. This time we can make out lots of things like circle around, don't let them slip by, stuff like that. They're trapped. Uh, so there's plenty of more whisperers around them. We get an overhead shot like the, the Walking Dead loves to do, looking down and everyone kind of standing in a circle. And the episode ends. So there you go. Yep. Mid-season finale of The Walking Dead. The Whisperers have officially been introduced, and we now know that they're not zombies evolving. They are people wearing masks. They are people wearing masks. So that's pretty crazy, actually. It is pretty nuts. So I just, I don't understand how, like, I can I can see how this they can use this to move around, like you said, and you don't think this is necessarily how they live. Mm-hmm. It's just how they do stuff. And protect their territory. I assume... Uh, that these whisperers, since they whispered to uh, to Jesus that you're not where you are meant to be, what, did you, what was the line? Uh, it was, you are where you do not belong, I think. You are where you do not belong. So yeah. they're claiming territory. Yes. But they're in their own goddamn territory. Um, right? May, maybe not. I mean, I think the idea is Rosita and Eugene went out to that uh, water tower, and yeah. the whisperers considered that their territory. So because they initially came after Eugene and Rosita and basically followed them wherever they went, looking for them to capture and or punish or kill them for encroaching their territory. So this is all because of that mission to the water tower. I see. So whether they're back in like, you know, hilltop territory now, I don't know, but those two are the ones that initially pissed off the whisperers enough to get them to follow them. And ultimately get to this point where this happens and Jesus is dead. Okay. So I think that's the idea. They're territorial and Eugene and Rosita screwed it all up for everybody. (laughs) So anyways, Jason, as I was saying uh, a few minutes ago, um, I'm kind of bummed that Jesus is dead. I did not want him to die. I feel like the show just reintroduced him after being almost missing for what seemed like a couple of seasons. And then as soon as he gets back in there, he's dead and he's gone. And that's kind of a bummer. It sucks. I, I like Jesus as a character. I thought he was, uh, you know, having a nice ninja Jesus around really entertained me. Yeah. So I'm sad to see him go. For sure. Even though, like, you know, he hadn't really done much recently. But I guess on the upside, he did go out in a pretty cool way, uh, really fighting, you know, for his life and for his friends. And he looked pretty awesome, you know, jumping around, slicing slicing guys with swords with a sword. So yeah, it was a, it was a fun scene to go out on, but I'm just bummed. He dead bummed. He's dead. And I was hoping maybe he just had a bad knife injury and like they could actually rescue him. Maybe he'd be captured for a while or maybe he just barely escapes, but no, looks like he's gone for good. So too bad. Yep. And thinking about it, I realized that of those three characters, Jesus, Aaron and Eugene at this point, the one I would be least upset to lose is Eugene. Really? Yeah, really. I'm really digging Aaron. Well, actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really digging Aaron right now. And Jesus, like I just said, has just recently reemerged as a fun character. Eugene's been around for a while, and I'm a little bit over his shtick. 
So if he died, wouldn't have been the end of the world for me. But, you know, it's not the way it played out. So I guess not. There you go. Uh, all right, I have some more holy craps here. Most of them were related to the end of this episode, so I saved them sort of for now. Um, but a common one that we've heard before about this show, and, you know, I heard a couple times here with this scene, comes from Dilith in Sri Lanka. And Dilith says, holy crap, did you see that? Because I sure didn't. Why is everything so damn dark in this episode? I could hardly <laughs> make out anything during the Negan escape scene or the Whisperer's fight sequence. I mean, it's nighttime, yeah. and it's foggy. It's going to be dark. Well, they film it on actual film, right? Like, it's not uh, it's not done on video, so that, that film to uh, video transfer, yeah. you lose a lot of the uh, the depth in the, uh, in, the, in the blacks. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that... Uh, I'm a little surprised that they don't know that, right? Because they know <laughs> that uh, they're filming it on film. There's going to be... Uh, film captures different quality light levels than video mm-hmm. and very few people are going to be watching this on a film projector. That's true. Very, very so, few. So, uh, you know, f- you know, film it accordingly <laughs> with various lighting. Uh, they're professionals. I assume they know, they know what they're doing, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, sometimes the episodes seem a little dark. Did you find this, this one too in- dark? I didn't find this one too dark. Uh, I was, you know, a good 18 inches away from my screen. Yeah. Uh, and it's perfectly aligned with my eyeballs. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I didn't uh, I didn't really notice any issues with the dark. I, I sort of did. It bothered me a little bit, but I, I felt it was all kind of part of the mood as well, you know? It's, you're not supposed to uh, see everything all the time in this one. Right. Trisha in Massachusetts wrote, Holy crap, Angela, where have you been all my life? Jesus, no, Rick. Rick who? I miss Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Rick? What's a Rick? Yeah, who's, who's that guy again? I don't know. So there you go. Uh, Lee, sipping a cold gin and tonic in Torbay, England, writes, Holy crap, just when Jesus finally gets to do some cool stuff, he's off the show. Can't help but feel he's been wasted the last couple of seasons, which uh, I kind of agree with. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um... Thies in Schinveld, the Netherlands, writes, Holy crap, have you seen the killing spree this season? If they keep up with this, we have no familiar characters left by season 16. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking about that. Who's left from season one? We have Daryl and Carol. And that's it. That's it, eh? Yeah, there's a cast photo that was taken way back in season one of all of them. And somebody has been editing it every time. Uh, every time someone gets killed off. And what they're doing is they're not removing people, but they're going black and white on the individuals as they get killed off. And I think everybody is now black and white except for Daryl and Carol. Right. The only two. There you go. And season two, anybody who was added in season two, we've lost. That was basically uh, Maggie was the only one left from season two. Yeah. Did Tara come in in season three at the, at the um, Woodbury in the prison. Yeah, that was season three. Michonne came. Well, technically, Michonne was in season two. True. Yeah. Uh, Denai Guerrero was not. Yeah. She showed up in season three. Uh, but Tara. Tara. Yeah, I guess so. Season three. Yeah. So almost no, almost very few from season two were even left over, right? Well, wow. nobody, just Michonne. I guess nobody. I guess. Technically, Maggie's not dead. Technically, Rick isn't dead, but... 
off the yeah, show. Yeah, the, they're off the show. Yeah. Like, the actors have left the building. Right? They have, they, yeah. They're gone. Well, that's crazy. That's quite something. Um, there's no way we're going to lose Daryl or Carol this season, is there? No, that's because they got uh, they got a pay bump. Oh, that's right. They they got those pay bumps and signed new contracts, so they're sticking around. Yeah, yeah. they're sticking around. They're not going to die. Jesus, on the other hand, he he had other things to do. Yeah, I guess he did. Well, Karina in Melbourne, Australia, writes, "Holy crap! Did you see that? The Walking Dead was scary. Surrounded by whisperers in a foggy cemetery, having just lost Jesus to a walker that ducks and has its own knife. I was holding my breath." Um, and I can see that if you had absolutely no idea what was going on and what was coming here, because you're not a comic reader or whatever, yeah, that would be mind blowing. Wouldn't it like to see a zombie do that and then stab a guy and then find out that it's people wearing masks like crazy town. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty crazy town. I, I knew what was going on. I thought it was still crazy town. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Me too. I thought they did a great job with the introduction of this group called the whisperers. Mm-hmm. Adam in Texas writes, now that was a mid-season finale. Negan has escaped. A new threat in the form of the Whisperers. Is Jesus dead? And if so, will he rise in three days? Great episode. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's always that. Jesus is dead. That's, I'm afraid, what's going on here. So there you go. Yep. It happens. Uh, Sean on the internet wrote, this would have been a great Halloween episode if they could have timed that right. Genuinely creepy, and with all the accoutrement we know in horror. The fog, the headstones, the zombies. Not to mention the aha moment with the stabby zombie. I could feel my skin crawl for the entire sequence. Yep. So a good one. Good creepy one. Uh, And that is it. So mid-season finale done, Jason. You said earlier that you liked it. Good episode? I did. I thought... um, I I did like it. I thought that the, uh, the unexplained... Uh, phenomena of the z- zombies uh, doing weird things, behaving oddly. I mean, they've been setting us up for uh, years on how zombies behave. They follow light. They well, they follow noise. They follow people. Uh, you have to blend in. Daryl uh, very pointedly set off a bunch of firecrackers, which should get their attention, and they didn't do it. That's really freaky. Walking around in a circle. Freaky, mm-hmm. whispering, we got to find them, surround them, don't let them go. That's freaky. I mean, what they've been setting us up for uh, a lot of years, this is a, a big left turn for that. Yep. And it was uh, it was compelling, even though, you know, I, like like I said, I, I knew what was going on, but still I could, I could understand that this was a, a compelling kind of what the hell's going on. Zombies are a threat again. They were in dire straits. Uh, they were afraid for their lives and somebody died. Mm-hmm. Somebody we like died. Yep. That uh, all that adds up to a good episode for me. I mean, and then a few things like there's nitpicky stuff, right? Yeah. Like everybody showing up at the end for some reason. Uh, if they explain that, fine. If they don't explain that, nah. well, we've seen that shit before. We'll yeah. get over it. Slightly less fine, right? Yeah. Slightly less fine. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I think overall, I liked, I liked this episode. Yeah, me too. I thought it was a pretty solid mid-season finale. One of the better ones, probably. Although, I don't know how I'd rank them at this point. I'd have to go back and think about it. But, uh, you know, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I was, and, and like you, 
I sort of feel the same way. Some nitpicky stuff. A couple of things that I think were slightly bigger problems than just nitpickiness. Um, Negan escaping. Uh, I knew it had to happen at some point. I'm not sure it needed to be in this episode, although it does set things up for the second half of the season coming back later next year. Um, and I'm, I'm more upset about the cell door now that I've talked to you about it than I was before. Cause I just figured, you know, yeah. he slammed it shut and it didn't latch properly or something like that. And that's it. But clearly it did. And they just said, eh, we're just going to assume that this thing is unlocked. I also thought for a little while that maybe that other guy that was in there who undid the handcuffs that Negan was in had something to do with it. And and maybe maybe he did actually. That could be a thing, right? We don't that know. That guy barely had a head. He did. Right. Well, it wasn't Scott, was it? I don't think it was Scott. I don't know who that was. That was just some dude. Yeah. I'd, if if that guy was involved in it, it wouldn't have been some dude. It would have been a little more pointed. You would think so, but maybe we're going to find out he's been sort of a guard there, and again, he's been manipulated by Negan somehow. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see there. But the part that I really didn't love about this episode was all the teenager stuff. Really? Yeah. I, again, am sort of like, what is this doing here? I mean, Henry's story, yes, he's sort of an angsty teenager. Well, not really angsty, but he's kind of getting used to a new place, right? And that'll cause some uh, turmoil within him, maybe. But the whole getting drunk thing and going out and making new friends and then not having new friends... I feel like it could have been a good start again to the next episode where we're starting the second half of the season and we find out that we're going to have to deal with Henry learning to live in this new place without his parents and things like that. I don't know why they needed to set that up in this episode so much. And, you know, they could have really focused in on the reveal of the whispers and doubled down on all the creepy stuff and all the, you know, creepy and scary stuff that was in this episode. So, right. Uh, you know, I'm not against that teenager stuff being in there, but I don't know. It felt a little out of place to me here. And I'm having a hard time giving a shit at all about these three new kids because they're honestly out of nowhere. Like they've never been on the show before. Right. And suddenly we have to sort yeah. of try to identify with them. No, um, we don't have to care about them. I mean, we might over time, but they, were, they weren't asking us to care about them now. No, but they're asking us to kind of understand what they're going through as like kids in the zombie apocalypse. And I'm just not. In, it's just an introduction. I'm just I mean, not an introduction into it right now. to some kids being jerks and sneaking out at night and, uh, you know, skirting the rules, but probably their parents are dead and everybody they ever knew was dead. Yeah. And they ended up here and it's like, fuck it, I'm getting drunk and I'm building a drum set. A drum set in a zombie <laughs> hole. But don't you think it would have been more compelling to get a little more of the what's up with Michonne and the other communities information than these teenage kids problems? I feel like well, I was yearning for that, not this. Well, of course we're yearning for that. We want to know what the hell's going on, right? That's part of the storytelling device. These sure. kids, we just, they introduce new characters. Like we need some Henry contemporaries. Henry's going to be coming more to the forefront. We can't just have him hanging out with adults and being bored all the time and making swords and things. He needs a storyline. And in order to, for him to have a storyline, he has to have some contemporaries. Yeah. So they've introduced some new characters with a bit of a, uh, you know, 
some story added in for what they're up to. They're up mm-hmm. to no good. So Henry is now going to get pulled into this up to no good thing. He, you know, he meets these new kids. What happens? First thing that happens, he gets locked in jail for being drunk and disorderly. Right. Right. Yeah. That's story. I, it totally is. And I agree with it. We, we need that. I'm, I'm not saying I don't want to see Henry's storyline. I just didn't want to see it this week. Oh, I see. Yeah. Not in a finale. You know, introduce uh, it in the in last week's episode or next week's episode, next time's episode, but not in a finale. You don't want to see that in a finale. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and okay. and they they could have done more with the other stuff and a little less with this, and then reworked it somehow or somewhere else. But uh, yeah, they could have totally lifted the Henry shit right out of the episode, and who would have cared? You wouldn't have even noticed. No, exactly. Uh, so, but other than that, other than that, really, really solid. And I mean, overall. The show has gone eight for eight for season nine, and that's freaking fantastic, and I'm super excited about that. And it's that, unheard of. It's, it is unheard of for this show. I don't know if we've ever had a season that's been eight in a row of such high quality. Like, there's probably an eight in a row that I've liked a lot, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we are doing really well here. I think so. Now, um, The Walking Dead returns on February 10th, 2019 for season, uh, for episode nine of season nine. So we got some time off, everyone. Um, we are not going to stop podcasting, of course. We will do our feedback show for this episode later this week. So make sure you keep sending in that feedback and tune in for that. After that, well, we'll decide what we're going to do, but we never you know, disappear for the whole break. We will be doing some stuff over the rest of December and January and over the holidays and so on. But um, we'll get into that a little bit later. For now, though... Make sure you send us in some feedback for Thursday night's podcast. You can do that by visiting the website at talkingdeadpodcast.com, clicking on send voicemail at the top and recording a message that way. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. Or, of course, the easiest thing to do often is just send an email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back in a couple of days. Send in that feedback. Want to hear lots of your reactions and takes and questions and comments about the mid-season finale and we'll get through as much of it as we can on thursday but until then thank you everyone my name is chris my name is jason thanks for listening ciao ah hello i'm sorry i didn't see you there Please, come in. Chris and Jason have just popped off to change into something a little more comfortable. You know what those boys are like. Please, sit down. Help yourself to a drink. And welcome to the Talking Dead After Hours. All right, everyone. Time for a very quick After Hours segment here. And this relates back to something that came up during the regular recording of the podcast about Negan escaping. Yeah, so this happened in the comic. And this is spoiler for the comic, I I assume. Because I don't know the information. You're about to tell me information that I don't know, therefore it's spoiler. Yes, I am going to tell you what I recall from this section of the comic. So yes, it is comic spoilery. If you haven't read it, you don't want to know, then tune out now. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later. Um, but what I will say is in the show... Negan has already escaped. So you know how that plays out. If you're still planning on right. reading the comic, 
then fine, it could be a comic spoiler. But what I'm about to say doesn't spoil anything on the TV show. Right, so here we go. In the comic, he goes outside, picks up the ball, but then goes back into the cell and shuts the door. Right, in which an, is what I think that a normal human being would do. In an, Sure, but in the comic, it's an attempt to prove to them that he's reformed and um, that he's no longer evil Negan, basically. Right. Um, and then he escapes from his cell later on in a different way. Right, by tunneling out or using uh, dental floss. Uh, right, he used dental floss to bend all of the bars and then he just steps out one day, yeah. Yeah, you can do that. Well, it's possible. Apparently, I think it probably takes a while, but I guess you can. Yeah. Um. So, so that's really it. Yeah, it's just that I kind of expected him to pick up that ball and turn around and walk back into the cell. But on the show, it didn't play out that way. He just leaves. Looks like he has a maniacal grin on his face, and we don't know what's going to come next. Right. So that's all. Any other questions? Nope. All right. That's going to be it, then. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.